from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. It's an exciting time for credit union leagues, with a number of new league leaders taking the helm at their organizations. Among the new group of leaders are Patty Corkery, President and CEO of the Michigan Credit Union League, Rich Schaefer, President and CEO of the West Virginia Credit Union League, and Carrie Hunt, President and CEO of the Virginia Credit Union League. Corkery, Schaefer, and Hunt take on their new roles as the credit union movement faces new opportunities and challenges related to advocacy, operations, the pandemic, and more. I'm Casey Mishlevy, Deputy Editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, I speak with Corkery, Schaefer, and Hunt about priorities they're working toward in their states, the experiences that prepared them for league leadership, and much more. In May, Patty Corkery assumed leadership of the Michigan Credit Union League, following previous president and CEO Dave Adams. Corkery previously served as executive vice president, chief operating officer, and general counsel at the league. Patty, as you are settling into your new role, what are some of the issues that you've identified as most important to Michigan credit unions at the moment? One of the top issues for our Michigan credit unions right now is staffing, you know, really finding candidates for open positions. I've talked to a lot of credit unions throughout our state, and they're just really struggling to fill them. And that's something that we talk about a lot, you know, how to really market for those positions and really get out word in the community how awesome it is to be not only a credit union member, right, but also a credit union employee and joining that team. So that's something that's top of mind for them. And then, you know, of course, what I'm sure you're hearing from different credit unions around the country is, you know, in light of the fast asset growth that credit unions had with a lot of the stimulus dollars that come in, it's diluted their capital ratios. So that's something that we talk about. I just met with a credit union CEO today, and those were his two top things. And it's definitely something we're hearing from a lot of our credit unions. And then, you know, on the technology side, of course, that's been going on since pre-COVID, you know, just competing in the financial services industry on the technology and what credit unions can do to really bump that up and serve their members. And certainly uh, they learned a lot of lessons during COVID when they were working with their members in a new way when the branches were closed and how that's changed now. What are some of the other lessons that you see being carried forward, hopefully, when we emerge into a post-pandemic environment? Well, kind of going back to staffing, too, you know, what work looks like for credit unions, how they transition a lot of back office positions to remote work, you know, and how does remote work fit into our industry? You know, obviously, there's some positions that can't be remote, just like there are in a lot of industries. You know, we're still always going to have our tellers. We're still always going to have our frontline But can we be competitive with some of our positions because we can hire somebody who lives in California or Florida or wherever, you know? And so I think that that's a lesson that they've learned that, you know, remote work can be adopted in our industry as well. And it can allow us to be competitive for some of those positions. So I think transitioning back into hybrid situations or 
some sort of quasi in-person, you know, remote work environment is something that they're learning how to do that and preserve our culture is something that a lot of us are are exploring and, and tackling, you know, trade associations included, how we can really kind of learn from adopting a new work-life balance, what it looks like for work. It's hard to say that's a lesson learned because I think we're still learning it. I think we're still learning a lot of these things, you know, in a post-pandemic world that there's kind of different creative ways that we can serve our members. What does our branch footprint look like? Do we need these big branches? You know, that's something else that they're kind of considering and evolving as they kind of go. You have a really interesting career path in that you started as a partner and attorney at your law firm, and you've kind of moved over to the credit union industry at some point. So I would like to know just a little bit more about your path into the movement and how you see your experience as a lawyer sort of informing the expertise that you bring to the credit union world. Actually, I joined the credit union movement when I started being a lawyer back in 2000 because our clients were credit unions. So really have been a part of the industry for over 20 years now, as crazy as that sounds, serving credit unions as their attorney. I got to know Dave Adams, our CEO and president at the time, and there was an opening for the executive vice president and COO role at the league. And Dave reached out to me to see if I'd be interested in kind of changing my career path to not being an attorney for credit unions, but joining at the trade association level. And I was really excited about that opportunity because I was kind of ready to hang up my litigation hat and work in the industry in a different way in that came to be in 2018. And I was really excited for that. And recently, as you know, that evolved into the president and CEO role at the Michigan Credit Union League, which just happened a couple of months ago. And I was really excited for that progression and really just working with and representing all of our credit unions in the state of Michigan. It's quite an honor um, to do that, which is where I am currently. And something that's really historic about your new role is that you are the league's first female president and CEO. So what advice can you share for other aspiring female leaders in the movement? It's an honor to kind of break that ceiling. And I'm glad that that's happened. Um, One of the things that I think really inspires me as a leader is my connection with my other female leaders. I think that there's just something about networking and meeting with women and supporting one another. So I have a a great group of women, um, credit union CEOs, actually, that I network with. And now that's kind of expanded into the league president world where I'm meeting the other um, female league presidents around our country. There's not that many, but we're definitely growing. And they reached out to me right away when um, the announcement was made about my new role. And so I think there's just something that's really awesome about working with and collaborating with women. And then I think more generally, though, just for any leader, it's it's really just, you know, being yourself, being true to yourself and, and trusting yourself as you make decisions going forward and, and continuing to learn. You know, I say it all the time. I ask a lot of questions. I'm not afraid to admit I don't know something. And so I spend a lot of time asking questions of people in the industry and also just 
you know, listening to different podcasts like this one, hearing from different credit union leaders around the country, different association leaders around the country. There's a wealth of that at our fingertips now with podcasts, whether it be in the CUNA space or, you know, we're just starting our own credit union coffee and conversation podcast that we're going to launch soon. And I think it's just such a great way, especially for our young professionals that are coming up in Michigan to hear from a lot of credit union CEOs or QSO leaders that they might not have a chance to talk to or meet and hear how they got started and what they do to stay relevant in the industry and what they're passionate about. Also in May, Rich Schaefer assumed leadership of the West Virginia Credit Union League. He succeeds retired president and CEO Ken Watts. Previously, Schaefer served as senior vice president at the league. Rich, you've been in your new role for a little while now. What topics or areas have you been focused on in your first couple of months in the new role? What I set out to do, knowing that Ken Watts was retiring, is first and foremost to provide continuity to the organization and that he had been there for 46 years, league president for 32. So anytime you're stepping into a role, you want to provide continuity, not only with your employees, your board, but also your credit unions that, you know, are our league members. But at the same time, what I've been asking for is, is changes in the organization, but nothing major, no hard left or right turns, like major changes, but, you know, I have a different style than Ken did. We complemented each other well in the organization when we worked together, but I think the overall emphasis is to provide continuity and to reassure credit unions that no matter who's in this role, we are focused on providing service to them, whatever that may be. I think we've been doing that through open communications with those different groups. And what a time to take over this role. Tell me what the last 16 months have been like for West Virginia credit unions during the pandemic. Early on, there was a lot of questions thrown our way, trying to learn PPP loans and just in real time. We only had maybe like six credit unions who were offering or going to offer PPP loans and that trying to get information from our in a congressional delegation on that to provide some input that they wanted on that. But what I've learned from this sort of reaffirmed what I believed before about credit unions observation-wise is that credit unions are very resilient. And I know that's almost like a cliche, but from what I saw that they were undaunted. Sure, they had questions, but they adapted, but they continued to stay focused on their members. And there are just different stories how credit unions serve their members, adapting to that. Their members still needed, you know, services. One credit union I know about had maybe it's less than $50 million credit union. They have seven or eight employees. And the management, which consisted of the manager, CEO, and the assistant, managed operating the credit union for several weeks and sent everybody, just had everybody stay home. Where is that in the rule book? Where is that in the playbook? And so, you know, we heard these stories, but it was sort of like, that's what we do. I was just more impressed as time went on with as much uncertainty out there, you know, about what was going to happen next. I guess looking back, I was just very impressed by how credit unions, large and small, serve their members. That's what I was most impressed with. And, and I was also impressed with our employees 
pulling together and focused on serving credit unions, you know, and trying to figure out on a week-to-week basis, how could we do that best? We didn't have a pandemic plan. Maybe that's a lesson learned is, you know, maybe we should look in the future to say this could be more frequent. How can you adapt to that? But, you know, I think things have gone well. Yeah. And there have been a lot of lessons learned that we're going to carry into the future. And as you think about the future of the credit union movement, what long-term goals do you hope to accomplish for credit unions in the state? One of the things that has been on my mind, we established See You Next a few years ago for our young professionals. And, you know, we've had to take a pause during the pandemic, or we did take a pause with, with everything else going on. I would like to see that jump started to renew interest. We had a good core group of folks who were interested in credit union movement, the history of the league, the importance of advocacy. These are folks that have high energy and they want to learn and they appreciate the role the league plays in that. So I would like to, you know, renew our effort. My plan is to work with our board, make suggestions on find some sustainable funding so we can fund things like scholarships, disaster recovery. We've made donations to other league foundations when they've had natural disasters. We are very excited about the opening of our WV Medicine Children's Hospital. For years, the Children's Hospital has consisted of a floor as part of Ruby Memorial Hospital. This is going to be special because it'll be a standalone hospital close to the campus there. And there will be an education room that will be named in honor of our credit unions, whether it be under the league name or whatever. That, That hasn't been decided yet, but... There was a program that we collaborated with them on a few years ago called CU Learning. And CU Learning was about funding a room and an intervention specialist who is a certified teacher. And what I didn't realize at the time is that sick kids are also required to go to school. They maybe work maybe with their teachers, do some homework, but you really can't leave it up to the parents to help them with that in a normal situation you would but there's so much stress in the family about having a sick child. That's just one more layer. So the intervention specialist helps those kids with their homework. So we're excited about finally seeing that to fruition at the end of the year and getting that education room opened. Rich, you have just a wealth of experience within the league and within the credit union movement And I'd like to know what all of that experience has taught you about how you are approaching the president and CEO role. Yeah, I just feel like a very blessed individual. I came to the league in 1988, and soon after, they flew me to Madison, and I had my first sales training. It was really a sales and marketing role when I first started. I learned about CUNA and the history of leagues and our league role, our league getting established with Roy Bergengren. We have correspondence between Bergengren and early credit union pioneers even before there was a league. And Bergengren said he was talking about an example of the legislature trying to freeze credit unions out. And he said, this is a really good example of why we need leagues. We need people at the state level looking out for the interest of credit unions. So I was have been blessed to work with somebody like Ken Watts, who is really a credit union pioneer. 
I know his care for credit unions and his uh, understanding of the league's role, not only the state level, but also at the national level and how we have to work with our partners on that. So I feel that, you know, our relationship with CUNA, with CUNA Mutual Group over the years has just been a success story with the purpose of, you know, serving credit unions. We're in a different world now. People view the world differently and we continue to have regulatory pressures, technological pressures on credit unions. The majority of our credit unions are under $100 million in assets, and that would be defined now as small credit unions. So how can we you know, help them? That's been on my mind. I felt fortunate that I had 33 and a half years at the league, but when you step in a role, you want to make sure that you can have the support of the board and establish your own path. Carrie Hunt assumed leadership of the Virginia Credit Union League in June, taking over from retired president and CEO Richard Pillow. Previously, Hunt served as executive vice president of government affairs and general counsel for the National Association of Federally Insured Credit Unions, or NAFQ. Carrie, congratulations on becoming the league's new president and CEO. What are you most excited about in your new role? I am super excited to be the new CEO and and president of the Virginia Credit Union League. You know, when I look at what I'm most excited about, though, it's really being able to focus on and serve Virginia credit unions. I'm going to put the needs of Virginia credit unions first. And over the next few weeks and months, I'll be visiting with, gathering feedback, and, and really asking our members what they need most for the league. So really, I'm really looking forward to that engagement so that I can take all of that feedback and translate that into great success for our credit union members. And what are some of the top priorities you're looking at for credit unions in Virginia right now? For Virginia credit unions, when I look at what I think the league should really be doing, it's advocating for our members, both at the state level and at the federal level with Delegates here in Richmond doing Hike the Hills, talking to the various regulatory bodies, but very, very focused on the needs of Virginia credit unions. I also think there needs to be a really high level of coordination. I think that a lot of the interests of Virginia credit unions certainly align with interests of credit unions across the country. And by working with not just other credit unions, but with other leagues, with CUNA, with NAFQ, with even entities like the Mortgage Bankers Association with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, when we can put all of the resources that we have together collectively towards one final goal, then I think we can achieve success. So I'm looking for uh, coordination as well. And I'm also focusing on business board solutions. We are really in a fast-paced time right now. I think that the marketplace is rapidly evolving. Consumers want more and more for their financial institutions, and that includes credit union members. And credit unions need to be able to look at their membership, see what their members need and want, and be able to provide those services. And I think in order to do that, we need to focus a lot on some of those technology issues. One of the things that excites me the most in terms of my priorities for Virginia credit unions is really being able to align our state and federal advocacy efforts. It's very, very interesting to me, even in the short period of time that I've headed up the league, 
as to, you know, how intertwined state and federal issues are and how much of an impact that they have, not just on state charters, but really charter credit unions as well. I also think that by really doing that outreach that I already talked about and focused on those issues that are really helpful for credit union operations, then um, we'll be able to achieve some wins on the advocacy side and credit unions will continue to thrive and grow and be there to serve Provident Credit well into the future. And that's my ultimate goal is that we still have credit unions around in 20 years. And I think we absolutely will. So you have a lot of wonderful experience that you bring to the league from your time at NAFQ. And I'm wondering how your tenure at NAFQ has kind of prepared you for this role. First and foremost at NAFQ under Dan Berger's leadership, we were really a team. And I think taking that team The attitude that being a team is important and that we can achieve things together is something that I've learned in my career and I take forward. And, you know, we're a team at the league. You know, there's no one person that can achieve these results for credit unions. We work together. There's a great, great group of people here. And I'm thrilled, even in the short time that I've been in my role, to get to know them and really see how, you know, we can achieve great things together. Also at NAFQ, A lot of what I did focused on advocacy, and part of that was the importance of relationship building. And over the years that I was in my role as heading up government affairs, that really is the first step in expressing issues that are important to credit unions, and that's establishing those relationships. So I look forward to working with our members and making sure that they have opportunities to meet with policymakers so that we can continue to express the credit union difference. Also, when I was at NAFQ, one of the things that I learned in terms of success and trying to create success for our members is really setting goals and working to achieve those goals. I strongly believe that it is extremely important and helpful to have something that we're all shooting for. And once you have that goal, you have the goal, you come up with a plan to meet that, But I feel that credit unions really deserve the best. Virginia credit unions deserve my best. And I will be very focused on creating those goals and achieving those on behalf of the membership. What are some industry trends or topics that are on your radar as things that we should continue to be looking out for or new things that you think will become important to the movement? When I do my look ahead, I would divide things up into two categories, you know, really risks and opportunities. And I do think we are going to be in a tough political environment. I think that in Virginia, on the state level, we have had a bit of a sea change that mirrors to some degree what's happened on the national level in some areas. And I think that we're seeing some different proposals than we have in in the past from the, the Democrat side that could have tons of opportunities for credit unions. On the flip side, on the federal level, we're continuing to see, you know, a lot of gridlock and some potentially issues that could prove to be problematic. That's not necessarily linked to the fact that the Democrats are in control. It's just more linked to the fact that we have now a, a sweep of one party throughout both chambers of Congress and also of course, the White House as well. And when that happens, things move very, very quickly. And sometimes there are unintended consequences. So I think the political environment is potentially one that could provide some challenges. 
there you know, some opportunities, but something that you know, will continue to be something that we are going to have to navigate. Another challenge that we're going to have to continue to navigate is really that we're having new competitive influences in the market. The non-depository provider of certain type of products, whether they back-end partner with a bank or credit union or not, is very, very new. Having these huge companies like Google or, or others really be the face of financial institutions or financial products in in this country is one that we're definitely going to have to navigate. I also think, though, there's incredible, incredible opportunity for credit unions to harness technology to reach new people that they've never um, reached before. And whether that means digital banking, whether that means faster payments, whether that means certainly specialized loan products, digital currency, There are certain things that I do think credit unions need to focus on and and try to pay attention to so that they can continue to evolve their institutions and really provide those products and services in the way that their members need and want them so then they can stay competitive. To hear from another new league leader, listen to our June 24th podcast episode with Juan Fernandez, the new president and CEO of the Credit Union Association of New Mexico. Here in New Mexico, we just have some fantastic credit union leaders that I've learned a lot from. So I'm really excited to leverage those relationships, but also bring all that that I've learned in my career to help credit unions in New Mexico, to help them thrive but also to leverage the cooperative and credit union movement for change. Head to news.cuna.org slash podcasts to find that episode. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. 